Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. It is a beautiful weather day outside. Hopefully, you're, as you're making your way in here, you carry that same demeanor in your heart that as any time we come together as God's people, yes, we don't know what a day can bring. Yes, we don't know what life will bring. Uh, we recognize that we do have an enemy as well. But when we are in Christ, we have a new identity. We are a new creation, a new creature. And we need to live in light of the gospel. Amen. 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 Well, we want to, uh, we have a couple things we want to do to start our service, worshiping the Lord in a celebratory manner. And one is this. You know that we have Facebook Live every Sunday morning and then again on Sunday night. We do Facebook Live. Uh, we moved it from Wednesday to Sunday night. We meet in the building on Wednesday night. But uh, periodically we'll say welcome to somebody that we know is watching online. Um, I know Karen and Denny are at home this morning. Dennis wasn't feeling up to par, so we would say hello to them. Let me pop that up real quick to see who else. Oh, that's me. So um, the other part is this, that today is Jim Sutherland's birthday. Of course... Jim Sutherland is not with us um, as he um, has some physical or some ailments. We pray that we continue to show love and support for Julie and Jim as well. But today is his birthday, and I told Julie we're going to do something unique. We've never done this before. I want us, in some peculiar way, we're going to sing happy birthday to that camera and I'm trying to get off of the microphone when we do it. So I'm going to get us started, and then we're all going to sing. And if you could, just kind of wave as we're singing happy birthday to Jim Sutherland. Are you ready? Here we go. Happy birthday. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? So when you get to go back and watch this again, you're going to hear your voices. And um, we'll see if it was a joyful noise or not. That's, that's out of my hands at that point. So, but we are grateful to know that as a church family, we have a means now to contact with each other. Bible Quest is in here this morning um, for the front part for another reason. There is something very important that happens in the local church. Uh, we know that one of those things is baptism. Baptism, identifying with Christ, with a new believer, gets baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. That, that, that is the first proclamation of our faith, if we will, public proclamation of our faith. The other is the Lord's Supper, is an ordinance. That is uh, something that the Lord would have us to do. Uh, commands us to do, doesn't say how often to do it, but I would also add another very important element that we're getting ready to do right now, and it's church membership. Church membership, well, we don't have the time to talk about what it is or what it isn't. In fact, a lot of churches these days don't even have this anymore, but if you're going to be a Bible-believing, a New Testament Bible-believing and following um, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to need to be a member of a local, a local Bible-believing church. Why is that? Because you're not going to fulfill the one another's floating about. So our goal is um, to have genuine believers to share Jesus Christ, to instruct them, to watch them be incorporated into our body, and then you genuinely become part of this local expression of God's bigger family in a spiritual sense. So I've asked Rachel Vance and Christine Meyer if they would come up on stage with me as I read their testimonies. We, um, the, another interesting part of what we do and how we do it, come a little closer, there we go. See, Ben's, or Will's running the camera, so we gotta make sure he gets us all. And, um, and with Chris, um, Meyer is Carla's dear friend. Uh, they worked at, um, uh, they were employed together. They became um, uh, very close. Well, the way we do memberships now, it used to be a formal class and all those things. 
yes, we still meet, but I had these two at my house around the kitchen table. Note to self, when you have it at your house and they get to talking, sometimes they never leave. It's a long afternoon, but it was a fun, fun day. Um, just to hear their stories, to hear their backgrounds. And these two had a lot in common. They learned from each other as well. So I would like to read the, the testimony of Rachel Vance. What my life was like before I found Jesus Christ. Well, I had found Jesus as a teen, but growing up, I always knew he loved me. My grandma would talk about him and sing hymns all the time. I can't remember a time when I wasn't aware of him and what he did for me. How and when I found Jesus Christ as my Savior. While in the teen department at Bells Lane Baptist Church, I started to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit and answered the invitation to go forward. On that Sunday morning, I accepted the Lord as my Savior. What my life is like now. My life now is what I consider a work in progress, trying to follow the Lord, be in his word, and lead my boys to be by, my, by example. The last couple years have been filled with challenges, sorrow, and loss, but I cling to what my grandma taught me and know he is always with me. Right now, I am just trying to follow him and be the mom he wants me to be. So there's a couple lines in there that stands out that you're not alone. You said you're a work in progress. That's every person in this room. None of us have apprehended, as Paul says, or have arrived, but we keep striving. So this is the testimony of Rachel Vance, and after uh, being at my house around the table, we went through the whole membership book, and um, understanding that you're joining a local body uh, of believers, this expression. All in favor, accepting Rachel as a member of Cross Point Baptist Church, let it be known by an amen. amen. I want to read the testimony of Chris Teen. Now, I'm used to calling you Chris. I can do that right. Okay, Chris Meyer. Uh, Chris, oh boy, don't get me started. Once she's, she's a fireball. Don't let this, this innocent seer smile up here. <laughs> she's a fireball. My life before I found Jesus Christ. My whole life I believed in Jesus. I was raised Catholic and the family always prayed. The sad part was that we didn't read the Bible. You know, oh man, can I pause there for a moment? One thing that Chris said from the first time she started coming was, you guys really teach the Bible. Can I be honest? We don't have anything else really to offer other than the Bible. We will not leave that. How and when I found Christ as my Savior. My true belief of Jesus was, was, was when I started really reading the Bible. There were stories in it that I had never heard of. I began to visit several churches but didn't feel at home before I came to Cross Point Baptist Church. Here, I felt at home. By the way, where she worked at, and though she wasn't a member, she's telling everybody about Cross Point Baptist Church. She was a great advocate for, uh, for us. It, she built us up pretty good. What my life is like now, I am a true believer. I love learning about the Bible and the story of God. It has made me a much better person. So again, as we met and you guys get to know uh, Christine more um, and Rachel, we've known for a whole bunch of years. We need to uh, come alongside of now our new family members of Christine and Rachel. All in favor of Christine being a member of Cross Point Baptist Church, let it be known by an amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to meet with us. Dear Lord, thank you for this time when we get to come and, and join and, and, and as a church family. And some are, are watching by Facebook. But Lord, even the Bible quests, they're in here. Why? This is our family. We're not based on the pragmatic methods. We don't want to be based on hype. We just want to be based on a genuine faith in you. We want to lift you up and watch others be drawn unto you. Exactly what the New Testament, the Gospels, show of you, our Savior Jesus Christ. Bless Rachel, bless, bless Chris today, 
as becoming members now, that they um, truly feel the family of God come alongside them. I lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask uh, the praise team to come up and prepare to um, uh, lead us in the next form of worship. Also, um, remind you as they're coming and as Bible Quest are exiting, that um, even though this is a, a celebration time, these next two songs will be a chance to celebrate a little bit more as well. That um, Also, don't forget those of our family that need our love, our prayer, who can't be here. Some are in the hospital, Artemia, and, and some have had passing of loved ones just within the last week. Let's be a true family and come alongside each other. Andrew, lead us this morning in worship. All right, good morning. We hope you are excited already to be here. It's been a great morning already. So would you stand with us as we sing our everlasting God?
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being able to be here together for the music we can sing to you, for the membership that we see in front of us, God. Thank you for adding to your church, God, as you see fit. God, we pray for the health, uh, spiritual, physical, emotional health of our church. God, we pray for the growth of our church, most of all, that you would grow us, not numerically necessarily, though that's great, but we pray that you would grow us spiritually so that we look more and more like your son as you would have us to be. Help us to do that as we hear your word this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I am grateful for all that are here today. And as we think about who is here today or what you may be feeling today, and I use that word feeling on purpose, that you may be the one that came in here today, just couldn't wait to get here. I mean that seriously. I want to hear from the word of God. I want to hear from God. And God is primarily speaks to us through his word. And you're like, I want more. I need more. Feed me. Feed my spirit. I'm getting this. And what you will find also is the closer that you get to God, the smaller you'll become. And you'll, it's, it's a beautiful thing in a culture that elevates our pride. Pride is, is, is to be honored, is to be, it's to be glorified in our world. And yet the closer we get to God, the smaller we get to see ourselves. We're reminiscent of, well, Lucifer when he was even in heaven. Remember the five I wills? He was going to do all these things. But at best he could do, at the, the, the pinnacle of what he could do was, I will be like God. He couldn't be God. He couldn't get there. Well, maybe that you... No, I'm not saying maybe that's you and you're Satan today. That was not my goal. But maybe that's you today in that I am so close. To, I feel close to God and I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And he speaks to us through his word and as we understand his word and apply. And by the way, it's, it's probably not going to happen on a one Sunday morning. Okay, we're talking about being in his, in his daily diet of his word, in his presence. It takes effort. It takes a little bit of discipline. But maybe you came this morning going, come on, bring it. I want everything that I can get from you today, Lord, that you want to show me. Or you may be the person that came in here going, man, why am I doing this again? Why am I here? I forget why I'm here. You had a busy week. You had a distracting week. Or maybe you were forced to come or whatever the case may be. I want you to know that you've chosen a good thing. Get, let's get focused around the word of God today because it's clear. It's clear. So I'm going to tell you what happened and why we are in John chapter 8 this morning. Why are we in John chapter 8? Well, I was studying for tonight. Tonight is our Facebook Live. And um, I was studying in John chapter 8. And the more I studied, the more I kept unfolding it. I just felt the need to share it this morning. And um, it gives us a little bit more time as well to really unpack the first 12 verses of John chapter 8. It is good reading. It is food for your soul this morning. Please don't just take the word of God as a passing thing or something when I have time for. This, I was explaining to somebody this week, it's, it's more than just um, a, a boundaries for life. It's a life book. It tells you everything about life that you will need to live, to live right, to, to keep living right, and to have eternal life. So, um, John chapter 8, let's, let's get into this. I'm going to read 12 verses, the first 12 verses, and then we're going to um, uh, unpack this and see if you see what I see this morning. John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees taught, uh, brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something 
um, uh, of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. Verse 7. So when they continued speaking, speaking to asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning, <clears throat> beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are, your, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus, asked, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, <clears throat> as we consider these verses this morning, it's important uh, to remember that even though you may have heard this story before, who's heard this portion of scripture or this story before? Bulk of hands went up. Almost, um, bulk of hands. Okay? It's okay if you've never heard it. It's okay. Unless you've been coming here for a bunch of years, then it wouldn't be okay. But if, you, if, if you're new to this, it's, I love it when people are new to the Bible. I, I love that part because you're getting ready to hear something. At the next, the very next line of the Word of God could be the one that pierces, puts that implanted word embeds that implanted word into your soul. That's why I love it. Absolutely. You never know when it's going to happen or why it's going to happen. There's plenty of people that may want to critique what happens right here. But when the word of God goes forth, it doesn't matter the personalities that are up here. It's the word of God and the spirit of God that changes people for eternity. And my hope and prayer is that that's you today. That's me today. Look in chapter 7, verse 53, the one verse before chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to notice something that stands out. Verse 53, we ended this last Sunday night with this verse, and it says, And everyone went to his own house. Okay? Now, again, don't be caught. This is one of those good portions of Scripture that you would look at, because um, uh, you can see how it would flow. Don't fall for your own trap of, well, chapter 7 ended, then chapter 8 is something new. A lot of times when we read a book, a novel or something, that's what a, a chapter is an ending, a new chapter is a beginning. Not so with the scripture all the time. So verse 53 ends, but look how verse, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1 starts. But, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So really 53 and 1 read really pretty, pretty smoothly together. Here's why I emphasize that. Because from 53 to chapter 8, verse 11, is not in all of the copies of the manuscripts of the Word of God. Now, you may think, then why, why should it be there? Is it not supposed to be there? I want to remind you, we have over 6,800 copies of, not we, but our, this world, has over 6,800 copies of the trans, uh, of the transcripts, manuscripts of the Word of God. We compare Scripture in light of Scripture. So some of these, this section, isn't in some of those manuscripts. Now don't panic and don't worry. Um, I firmly believe it does go here. And if you want more insight on that, see me afterward. I'll be glad to share it. In fact, I may even share it tonight. We'll see. But verse 53, everyone went to his own house. You remember chapter 7, hopefully, over what we've been studying. And verse 1 is where we start. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I want you to remi be reminded of this. Pastor Roger's been teaching this in Steadfast Life about that whole um, um, conundrum of, of how does Jesus is a man and Jesus is God. How does that work? So, Pastor Roger, if you could sum that up in a line or two, we'd appreciate it. But he can't because it's so, it's a mystery, if you will. 
But Jesus is no man. But remember this. He has an agenda. Amen? He has an agenda. Why does he have an agenda? Because he wants to reach people. He wants to reach people. They went home. He went to the mountains. Jesus must have been a southerner. I don't know. They went home. He went to the mountains. Why? Well, Luke doesn't say, perhaps the other Gospels do, or could it be because of this? Remember when Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? But look in verse 2 with me. All we know is they went home, he went to the mountains. Verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple. He had just left the temple the day before. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So in verse 2, you're going to know if you remember your, and if you have a, a hard copy Bible, you can look. It really won't show you the, the topography, but the Mount of Olives was not far away in the map in the back of your Bible from Jerusalem. So it wasn't far. It was, it was near, but it was rather hilly. It was a climb, if you will. Early, in fact, when it says early in, in, in verse 2, it says now early, it really, the rendering really there is very early. So, to make the point, spiritual people wake up early. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Many of you know that's a personal dig at, uh, uh, well, you, because I like to get up super early and get the day going, and, and many of you are like that, but others, not so much. They don't like the, they, they, not till the sun's good and warm, like 10 o'clock before they want to get moving, but I digress. But Jesus was up very early. I want to remind you that they went home, he climbed a mountain to get away, and then he came back very early. He walked down the side of the mountain, Mount Olive, crossed the Kindron Valley and up the city, this was a valley there, to the temple. The point is, it took work. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be alone and he wanted to be back in the temple. By the way, I'll have them put on the screen uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17. Now, this isn't me proof texting saying, see, you have to get up early. It's the only time Jesus will speak to you is if you're up before the roosters crow. I promise you, that's not, it's not what, uh, what I'm selling here. Look at what it says. I love those who love me. Right there. Did you catch that? I love those who love me. Follow him. The word will cause you to believe in him, and then you'll love him. And those who seek me diligently will find me. No time frame. I'm thinking of other portions of scripture that talk about early in the morning. First in your day, I will seek you. Matthew 6, talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's about first, not meaning First thing you do in your day, although that's, that will get your day pointed in the right direction. But coffee first, I get it. But it's a beautiful thing when we see him throughout, we seek him throughout the day and he reveals more and more of himself to us. But all the people, and by the way, in verse uh, 2, early in the morning he came into the temple and all the people, see that word all? Usually we'll, pastors will say something like, all means all, and that's all all means. Well, in this case, all means all the people that were in the temple, not all the people in Jerusalem. So all the people that were in the temple, they came back to him again because he was in the temple. Well, why would they come back? Well, if you remember and look in Peru's chapter 7, look at everything that he said and did in chapter 7. Of course, they're going to be drawn to come back, the people that were in the temple. But verse 3 says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, comma. I'm going to pause there for a moment. We'll pick it up. This is where the story ratchets up just a little bit. This is where the, 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 the entrapment, the, this may... Um, 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 Peak the curiosity of your own, of the human condition to go, how are they going to, what are they up to? Why are they, what are they, what are they trying to accomplish here? 
And as usual, in the Bible, it becomes crystal clear. Why? Because the Lord knows the hearts and the intents of all. Well, verse 3, it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees. Well, the scribes were a group of men who copied and taught the Scripture. They copied and taught the Scripture. So these are men that knew the, knew the words of the Old Testament. And Pharisees, we've explained a, a bunch of times in the past, they were anxious to trap and to trick the Lord into saying something against the Old Testament. Now, how many times have we shared this? That when you challenge, they keep wanting to challenge the Word. That's a name for Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, the Word. They want to challenge the Word on the Word that he wrote in the Old Testament. Who better to know the Word than the author of it? But in their pride, in their um, haughtiness, they're going to try to give him one of those questions that can't be answered. I've heard people say that, like, I've asked a, a question that even a pastor can't answer. And then they'll ask me the question, and usually I realize, pretty dumb question. If you're trying to trap and trick God, good luck. I'm, I'm, I'm over those games. You're, you're not going to, he's He's God. He doesn't answer to us. So they, they, were, they were anxious to trap and trick. And remember, um, I will also, well, look in chapter 7, verse 32, just a page back. How do we know they were anxious to get him? How do we know they wanted to shut him up? How do we know that? Look in chapter 7, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. They were, they were, they were chippy about it. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. We got, we got, to, get, we got to shut him up. We got to get him. Tyranny, if you will. Well, let's go back to our text in verse 3. And it says they, they caught this woman in adultery. Now, I don't know if you, if you caught what it says here, but the word caught means they, they caught her in the act, in the very act, it says in verse 4. Notice that they weren't hurt or shocked, or even offended by her conduct. They weren't concerned for her and her sin. They wanted the opportunity to exploit her and her sin to trap Jesus for their evil intentions. Did you catch that? Let me shake that tree again. You can disagree with, with different people and different things, but the truth is the truth, and your heart is, will be on display. This woman was caught. Instead of being hurt for her and, and showing her the way of forgiveness, instead of showing her the way of God, showing her all these things, they were more concerned with exploiting that opportunity to accomplish their agenda. I don't even want to go there. Don't even want to have to draw parallels on how that happens in culture today. The difference is their intentions were evil. They were trying to stifle the very Messiah that was going to save them and take away their sin. That was going to give them, they were going to silence the one that was going to give them eternal life. That was going to give them life. They didn't want to talk to him privately, but publicly. In fact, they even interrupted his teaching. Look in verse 3. Because we know he's teaching because he's in the temple. All the people came to him. They, the scribes and the Pharisees, brought to him a woman caught in the act, and they had set her in the midst. They, they, they interrupted what was going on in order to be the center of attention, in order to make him deal with something that he's not going to want to deal with. And by the way, while we're on the topic of her being caught in the act, as sinful, and we're going to look at how the, the Old Testament said that was wrong. Where was the dude? How, where was the guy? Where was the guy in this? He never comes up. And there is another um, a commentary I read on it. said that that was, could have been an entrapment. Set, they set her up in order to use her for this very example. Either way it goes, this creates a holy showdown. One of many that's going to happen. One man, Christ, versus many. And this happens over and again. Look at verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. 
The accusation is true and the law is clear. That's what they're saying. The accusation is true. She was caught in the act and the law is clear on what to do. Look in verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, you, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? There's a condescending tone there. We got you. We got you. If you say follow the, law, follow the law and stone her, you're going to lose all these people, which is what they wanted. That means Jesus, he's on our side, and he's going to lose that popularity. By the way, is the law clear? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22, it is clear. The trick, so the trick is also abundantly clear. They wanted him to contradict the law. Claim him a hypocrite to discredit him. Let's draw this into 2021 into to my world and your world. Listen to this statement. I, I paraphrase it a little bit out of a commentary. It reads like this. It comforts the depraved heart of us if we can find a person worse than us. Like, like a greater sin of another would excuse ours. Therefore, when we do this, we rejoice in sin. End quote. Perhaps even us as believers, maybe, maybe we don't even realize we're doing it in our own heart. We take joy in that somebody else has got it worse than, that is doing worse than we are. Somebody else is sinning worse than we are. You know, I've learned years ago that some sins are on display, others are hidden, but they're still sins nonetheless. That includes you and that includes me. Perhaps in our hearts we take comfort in somebody else's sin because it gets that spotlight off of mine. Look in verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they, may, they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. In verse 6, this is the first time that Jesus recorded as writing something in the New Testament. We do not know what he wrote. You can guess and poke and prod, and I've read some commentaries that would attempt to address it. The scripture does not say. The only parallel that I am comfortable drawing is that God wrote with a finger one time. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger in stone, Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. You may think, well, Pastor, that, that, that's kind of hyperbole. Did he really do that? The Bible says he really did that. They accused Jesus of not knowing or executing the law, and now he's writing with his finger. So the only parallel I'm comfortable drawing is they just pointed out the law, what God wrote with his finger on those tablets that was put into the Ark of the Covenant, known as the Ten Commandments. Now Jesus is stooped down, and he's writing as if he didn't hear them, and he's writing with his finger. Ooh, wouldn't it be fun to get to heaven and find out what he wrote? Curiosity, it's just eating me up. I want to know what he wrote. He probably would have said, Scott, mind your own business. It's probably what it says. It's interesting in verse 6 that it says that um, uh, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground as though he didn't hear. Did he hear? Absolutely. He heard. He heard every word. He knew what they were going to say before they said it. Verse 7. But they continue asking. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, let me pause there for a second. So he's teaching the people. They interrupt, they make the scene. You got what you wanted. You got the scene. You got the trick, trap question. Oops, gotcha. They, they got everything they wanted up to this point. They got everything that they wanted. And now he raises up in verse 7 and said to them, Here it comes, here it comes. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Uh-oh. How, how, our plan backfired here. What, I don't know what to do. They continued asking. They mistook his silence, perhaps, as embarrassment. Remember when he's ignoring them, writing on the ground? 
He wasn't writing, help me, I don't know what to do. They mistook his silence for embarrassment when really the silence emboldened him. He raised up or he looked up. The language really doesn't specify which one. It's really not that big of a point. But I want you to notice when he says, without sin, cast the first stone. Jesus is saying that the law should be carried out. That's exactly what he's saying. That the law, he's not saying don't throw a stone at her. Did he say that? He's still in contact with the Old Testament law. He is obeying their trick question. Gotcha again, but in reverse. He's obeying the law. He's saying that the law should be carried out, but only by the, 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 the purely righteous ones. Jesus fulfilled the letter of the law and, watch this, the spirit of the law. That's what they were missing. The Old Testament, even with all its laws and all of its, uh, the things that, that God would have them to do, it still had to be done by faith and with a pure heart. Strive to live your life by faith and with a pure heart. Strive for that and watch what will happen. So now the man, the woman and the man aren't innocent here. But he accused all of sin. Are you with me? So they're not innocent, but now, he, he, now everybody he accused of sin. And that's one point, that's one of the points here. Don't use this verse to excuse anyone's sin. This one verse, verse 7, I have heard it used, misapplied, when someone is confronted about their sin or the sin comes to light, they say, yeah, who's ever without, the, without sin, throw the first stone. It, it, it's not an excuse for anybody's sin, including yours. Another point is, this verse condemns those who are guilty, even though they have never been caught. Think about the Pharisees. They, they, they weren't caught doing anything, but yet the, 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 the pure word that went to their heart they were, they were just as guilty. It was pointed out. Whereat in their consciences, it says in verse 9. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now I'm really, now Scotland is really bothered because he wrote in the ground one time and I don't know what he wrote. And now he just did it again. I, I want to know what he wrote, but I do not know. Whatever he wrote, though, has long been erased from this earth. Verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Verse 9, we see that the scribes and the uh, Pharisees, they challenged Christ from the law. He met them on their grounds, on their terms, and he properly convicted them by properly applying the law. One by one, verse 9 says. One by one. By the way, before I go there, let's look at this. Consider this. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. Um, The text is eluding me right now in the New Testament, but we need to be careful not to numb our conscience The more you can ignore and overlook faults, the more seared your conscience can become to the sensitivity. Our conscience needs to be sensitive to God's working. They need to be sensitive to his... Remember the illustration I used when if we get a big pain, um, we we, we tend to want to get it fixed. But it's the little things that can do more damage and irritate sometimes. Remember the illustration I used of the, the, the one little grain of sand in your eye. Remember that? That one little tiny grain can just itch and, and you can't get it out and it becomes a nuisance. And if you don't deal with it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Our conscience sometimes will let us overlook the little things. Just don't do the big things. Keep your conscience pure before him. Pure. So in verse, uh, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, we're still in verse 9, where... He said they went out one by one is how they left. 
from the oldest to the youngest. And this is significant. In fact, that's kind of how we leave here when we leave on Sunday. I notice the olders get out first and then the youngers last. Not for this reason, but this is significant in, in this text. Why is it significant? The law required two witnesses before it could sentence execution. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. And the witness must, must assist in the carrying out of the punishment or the execution, and that's in Deuteronomy 17. So why did they go out oldest to youngest? Well, the oldest were most revered because they were honoring the elders and the wisdom. They left first. When they left, so did some of the authority. All the way down to the youngest and the accusers who, by the law, had to be there and assist in the punishment, they left as well. They left, leaving the woman there. Look in verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? In verse 10. Jesus alone, the woman standing there, now Jesus acts in grace and he acts in truth. Grace and truth. Verse 11, it says, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Verse 11 may leave you um, with a question. It leaves us with an interesting question. Was this woman a genuine believer? Was it, I mean, she didn't go down the Romans road. She didn't say any of these words that we think we need to hear. My answer to that is probably, and here's why. Number one, she didn't leave when she had the opportunity. When they all left, she could have been gone, but she stayed. Number two, she addressed him as master. Now, one I, I, I meant to look this word up in the Greek. One said she addressed him as Lord, meaning master. Another commentary said they used, she used the word Lord as like sir, like they do in England, like sir. Like, so, but the one commentary said she addressed him as master. Third reason, his words of go and sin no more would only apply to the redeemed. He wouldn't tell a lost person to go and sin no more because they don't have the capability of not sinning. If you're not a genuine believer in Christ today, you do not have the capability of not sinning. In fact, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Romans 5, verse 21. Romans 5, in verse 21. There's many verses that reference this, but Romans 5.21 says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way you can live right, sin no more, is to be righteous, to be righteous in Him. Look how verse 21 ends, that reign through righteousness to eternal life. How? There's only one way through Jesus Christ our Lord. He would have never said, go and sin no more, if she didn't have the ability. So, you, and by the way, you can't live right apart from him, ultimately, is what we see. I'll give you a fourth reason why I believe she was probably a genuine believer and saved is a term we use. Because Christ didn't condemn, although soon he would be condemned for her. He didn't condemn her. And he could have. And it would have been right. I'll give you a fifth one. The fifth one is here. He didn't say, go and sin no more and I will not condemn you. But he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at how that's worded. See that wording? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, don't sin anymore and then I won't condemn you. So if you're struggling in your life and you're thinking, man, am I saved? Am I not? I do this battle over and over in my mind. An indicator would be how you're living. That is an indicator. If you have the ability to see sin and, and that temptation of sin and to not give in as a genuine believer, that's a great and indicator. It's not the indicator. It is 
that you are in Christ. She was most likely in Christ, or he, he would have had to say it, not, not say those words. One is a work, the other is grace. In verse, in verse 11. And by the way, this makes Romans chapter 8, verse 1 come alive. I'm going to have uh, Brad put on the screen Romans 8, 1. It makes this verse just come alive that much more. When we look at our lives, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Comma. What's that mean? Condemnation. If you are in Christ, as we walk the first part of that verse backwards, if you're in Christ, you are not guilty as judgment. If you're going to have stuff, but you're ultimately condemned, not guilty. There is now no condemnation. What did Jesus say? He says, where are your accusers worth? Has no one here to condemn you? And he said, neither do I condemn you. That makes 8-1 just come alive. Hopefully it's jumping off the screen or jumping off, the words are jumping off and right into your heart. Neither do I condemn you. I will not condemn you. In fact, I'm going to be condemned for you so that you can be free. Free to do what you want? No. Free from sin. Free from the chains of sin. Free. But you're like, Pastor, I still struggle. I still say, I get it. I got it. But you're deemed Free. You're never more free than when you're in Christ. I, I can't explain it a whole lot more than that. You're never more free. You get to choose who you're going to follow at this point. When you're in Christ, I, I just, I'm like this woman, she could have left. She could have bailed, but she chose to stay there. I'll tell you what else it makes come alive. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 17, just a couple pages back. As we study through this portion on Wednesday nights, mainly. What, what did we just talk about? We just talked about the law, how they had the law there, and the law, the law, the law. And, and, and I just shared with you that Christ showed and lived out grace and truth. Look in John 1, 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses, that's true, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And he, it's not just a fancy saying in John 1, 1. You're seeing it lived out in somebody's life in real time. In real time. Do you remember where you were when you were saved? Do you remember the chains from which you were brought out of? Do you remember how empty religion was for you in your life? True life. You're never more free than when you're in Christ. Verse 12 is the last verse we will consider this morning. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, this verse makes complete logic here in this where it's at. And it draws application for us. Why does it make complete sense? Here's why. Remember when I said at the beginning that verses 1 through 11 aren't in some manuscripts? Remember when I said that? Well, if you look in John chapter 7, verse 53, turn there if you will. I want you to look at and see this. Look in verse 53. And I want you to look at 53. And then we're going to go straight to verse 12. And tell me if it flows and makes sense. Verse 53. And everyone went to his own house. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then 13 kind of changes gears again. There's, the point is, this verse of verse 12 makes absolute, absolute sense, logic, that 1 through 11 were actually in the original manuscripts. So in verse 12, when he says, them, this verse, uh, them, he is still where? In the temple. Remember, he went, he went to the mountain, went back in the morning, People were there early, and them, meaning he's still in the temple. The people around, but the accusers are gone. And by the way, if you look in verse 20, sneak down to verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for the hour has not yet come. Verse 20 shows us that in verse 12, he's in the temple, but he had moved around. He was in a different spot. 
So to follow Jesus means to believe fully on him. Let that encourage your heart today, believer. Be encouraged. You cannot live like Jesus and having not been born again. Amen? Listen, I'm going to share something else. You know why I encourage you to say amen? I think most of you get this. I encourage you to say amen to affirm the word, not to affirm me. When I say, is that a good spot for an amen? There's a biblical truth that needs to be amplified, that needs to be in agreement with. It's not about uh, self-glorification. This is a truth that we can, amen. Now, Karen Stanhope isn't here to do that for me today. Amen. You cannot live, live like Jesus and having not been born again. Repentance, believe, are real words with very heavy implications. This morning was direct teaching of the, of, of the gospel. Not a lot of stories, not a lot of illustrations, and that was on purpose. This is a heavy lifting day. This is a day when we needed to think. We needed, we needed to make sure we get our foundation shored up. Because I cannot promise you what the future looks like. If we keep having uh, messages, some are lighter and some are, are just studies and they're fun and all those things. And it's needful. We're going to do those. That's okay. But we need to make sure our foundation is built and sturdy. Because our world, I have no idea what it looks like. And I, it could change by tomorrow, and I can't explain it other than what we see in the Scripture. Today was about building your foundation, shoring up your foundation. A lot of times when they pour concrete, they'll put something in there called rebar. It's a metal, it's a metal bar that uh, they put in the concrete. It reinforces the concrete. Now, concrete's pretty hard. You're, you're on it right here. By itself, concrete is a hard substance, but it still gets cracks in it, doesn't it? Rebar helps to keep that tighter. I want this message today to be like a rebar in your, in your walk. A rebar in your salvation. That makes sure that you, your foundation is right, proper. The foundation is on Jesus Christ, and then you can build forward. We're going to have a time of prayer this morning as well as an invitation. When we have an invitation, it's also that, a time to pray. Andrew is going to be leading us in the praise team in that song. And uh, maybe a, a little longer, but that's on purpose. That's so that you can come and, and do any business with God that you may have. Maybe throughout the week you just do these little micro prayers throughout the day. That can become habitual too. But maybe today you need to come. And just get quiet and get alone with him and do any business that he would have to do in your heart. Let's bow. Lord, as we spend this time communing with you, I pray that our hearts are just that, in tune, in line, in genuine, raw, open before you. We provided this opportunity for members, for believers, and even the wayward to come and be open before you and let the healing begin, as was with this woman in John chapter 8. Take this time and make it your own, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we are led in a song? Please, the altars are open for prayer time. Whatever you need to do, I would encourage you to do it. Andrew?
Several things to, to mention here as we close our service. Uh, don't forget, as Pastor mentioned, we have Facebook Live tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, tomorrow, Monday, uh, the real-life class will be meeting at Batavia Township Park at the Pickleball Courts at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions, be sure to ask Andrew. On Wednesday, we have our family night starting here at 6.30. We have a Awana Word of Life for the teens and then the adult Bible study. And then on Thursday, we have pre-share at 7 o'clock. With that, we are dismissed.